This is Jerry Beck, animation historian extraordinaire, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome, mateys, to another edition of Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking out our show, welcome. Every week, we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much, much more. I'm your co-host, Al John Go. I'm a musician, podcaster, lifelong Disney, Marvel, Star Wars fan, and you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, a longtime pop culturist, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. And you know what, Al John? Yes. I got I, I I got a lovely, lovely email from a Natalie in Orlando. Oh, you uh, did? And, yeah. And you know, she sent it to my Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com uh email address. I love it. And, and you know what she said? Yes. She said took a day off to visit the Festival of Arts at Epcot and couldn't pass up a photo op with the name of your podcast. <laughs> Natalie, Natalie sent us a photo of herself uh, with a stand, you know, one of those cutout standees yep. from Peter Pan That's saying, right. you know, Skull Rock. That's right. Uh, and so on her way to Skull Rock uh, in a pirate ship. And so she goes on to say, still listening. And I look forward to the episodes every week. Really love the one you did on Roy Disney, sharing all your personal stories and great memories. Your podcast is truly one of the best out there. Yeah. All the best. Natalie in Orlando. Thank you. Thank you so much for that wonderful <laughs> email. It makes us feel good uh, when we get those emails because, you know, we like hearing from our listeners. Absolutely. No, it's great. I actually, when we did, uh, when we visited the Festival of the Arts, I, I too also got my my Skull Rock picture. I'm going to have to post that as well. And, and, and Natalie and I can be together in separate cut out standees we'll put it side by side there and then i'll airbrush your picture and in, in that one too that all of this will be together <laughs> yeah there we have it well no it's always great to hear from people and and you know over this you know the past 18 months we've been hearing from people all over the world yeah you know and uh it's fantastic we're we're glad the show is resonating and we're we're making tweaks we're we're adding dave and al john's picks of the week yeah uh, yeah uh, to to the schedule so that you know we can uh just uh shed some light on some of the some of the content that we're uh consuming absolutely we that's what we do especially these days right but before we get into our picks as well as the news headlines of the week we do want to tease who is in the green room hanging out 
Well, that's right. We have another great guest. We have uh, Alan Bodner, uh, who's an art director uh, on Mickey Mouse Funhouse, and he's just done a tremendous amount of uh, background painting and art direction, Looney Tunes. Uh, just, I mean, the 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 list of shows he's worked on is just phenomenal. So we're excited about about having him on uh, as our guest this week, and we'll yeah. get to him very soon. Yeah, he's got an awesome style. I love it, especially Kim Possible, that kind of whole yeah. kind of, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, art style, which is great. I love the colors. But anyway, so we'll get into that here momentarily. But right now, let's get into our, I don't have a sound effect this week, picks of the week. <laughs> There you go. Well, that was good. I like that. Uh, maybe we can get something uh, with a little music bed to it. Yeah, we'll do point, that. We'll do know? that. Yes, we'll do that. So what did you, you know, watch I, this week? I, I have to say, because they, you know, the Academy Award nominations uh, ha have uh, come out and uh, uh, I have been, uh, you know, trying to consume as much uh, material as I possibly can. But I did watch uh, Lansky with... Um, uh, Oh gosh, now I'm having a brain fade. Oh. Um, Harvey Keitel, thank Harvey you. Harvey Keitel, okay. Uh, yeah, it was Harvey <laughs> Keitel uh, as Meyer Lansky. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It, it was uh, based on a, a true story. Uh, and, uh, it was an enjoyable film to watch. Um, I also watched being the Ricardos, which Ooh, has yeah. had a number of, uh, uh, of Academy Award nominations. Yes. Um, and I really enjoyed this movie a lot, Al John, I have to say, I know that there's been some people out there who are saying, oh, they're nothing like Lucy and Desi. Well, nobody's going to be exactly <laughs> Lucy and Desi. Who is? And I don't really want to see that. I, the, I thought that they uh, both uh, Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball uh -huh. and Javier Bardem as uh, Desi Arnaz. I think they did a fabulous job. And yeah. the story revolves a little bit around the whole Red Scare business and uh, their relationship. And uh, I, I just thought it was, it was a well done movie and the cast was terrific and it was very entertaining. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, I, I love it. I, I think the... Uh, I think uh, becoming the Ricardos is uh, on my my queue to check out, so I can't wait yeah. to check that out as well as the rest of the, the stuff you've picked. So that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know, Red Rocket's an indie film, and it was, eh, you know, it was okay. Uh, I know it's getting a lot of buzz out there, but for me, it was like hmm, okay. Uh, and uh, I watched the documentary uh, Becoming Cousteau. Yeah, uh, which is just really an overview of Jacques Cousteau's life. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like half in French. So you got to read half the movie mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the ups and downs and some, some sad chapters in his life, uh, but also the amazing uh, things that he did, uh, which was pretty cool. So I was glad I watched that documentary. I also watched The Many Saints of Newark, which is a prequel to uh, The Sopranos. And oh yeah, yeah. I, I, it was like almost unwatchable. A what? Yeah, I really? mean, I, I just, I, it didn't do it for me. Oh, uh, I, you know, look, there was some, some uh, great actors in there, some good performances, oh. but it was, it was a disjointed movie. It, oh. it, you know, David Chase wrote and directed this, and yeah. you know, he's the creator of The Sopranos. Yeah, and for me, I, you know, for a for a two hour movie. 
I wanted to see something more. Mm. And this felt like a two hour television episode that mm. you would think would continue with storylines connecting through a season season. It didn't work for me. I, that's all I can say. Okay. And I'm, you know, listen, I'm giving you my honest opinion. There of may course. be people out there that, you know, loved it, but I, 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 didn't care for it. And I watched the whole thing from start to finish, but I was just like, wow. You know, uh, Jack Reacher, the Jack Reacher, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, films that Tom Cruise played Jack Reacher in were terrific. If, if you've seen any of those, this series, which, uh, just debuted on prime Amazon prime, uh, is, uh, a bit wooden i'll put it to you that way Uh, the action scenes are terrific um but you know the the actor they've cast as jack reacher just doesn't have the screen presence and uh likability that uh tom cruise had in the films yeah uh and maybe it'll get better they've picked it up for a second season uh but i did watch all eight episodes and you know it was reasonably entertaining but it was a bit stiff i thought isn't that disappointing when you when you invest the time to watch these things and it just kind of is flat, just falls flat? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when, when they when they boot a series, uh, you know, you have to get past the first or second episode. Yes. So that that everybody got kind of the cast gets into their groove. You know, uh, you can't judge these things sometimes on the first episode. But, you know, uh, overall, it was it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. But I felt like some of the performances were a little bit stiff and the writing was a bit, uh, you know, so-so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah. that's a shame. That's a shame. I did. I, I did. By the way, I've been watching a show that's, you know, been on the air for a number of years on Netflix called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and I love it. It's a great cast of people, really great chemistry. Uh, it's it's fun as can be. Uh, and if you like, you know, musicals uh, or, <laughs> you know, Broadway style shows, uh, this the, this is a, a, a sort of a sitcom where occasionally they break into a song and the songs are hilarious. You know, when you listen to when you listen to the the lyrics of the songs, they're absolutely hysterical. It's very entertaining. Okay, yeah, you know, I've heard about it. Uh, so this is good if it gives you, you know, yeah. if it makes if if you recommend it. I'm more than happy to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I think you, I think you guys will enjoy this, you know. That's and good. then finally, I watched the one episode of Murderville, which which has uh, dropped on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it stars Will Arnett. And this is an interesting concept because it's like Will Arnett plays a detective, you know, like a homicide detective, mm-hmm. and they drop a uh, guest. Uh, into the show every week and it's sort of a um, uh, improv for that guest because he doesn't get a script. Yes. So so the first episode had Colin uh, 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 Conan O'Brien. Right. Right. Conan O'Brien is, you know, a guest uh, detective in training (laughs) who's paired with Will Arnett. 
Okay. And, and, and there's some pretty hilarious things in, in the episode. I'm not sure of this as a series, but I'm going to watch a couple more episodes and, and maybe talk about it in the future. Okay. But anyway, Murderville yeah. with there Will Arnett. And I love Will Arnett. He's great. Nice. Yeah, Will what Arnett you, is what, great. What, so what have you been watching? Uh, I think it's uh, pretty much a, a, a set thing. Hey, listen to this music. You know, it's hilarious. The, this show comes to an end, and at the very end of this theme, it's Boba, Boba, Boba Fett. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so that's what they're saying. They're saying Boba, Boba, Boba Fett, you know, which is hilarious, but it works. And I have to say, I give it, I, I give it a good, I give it good marks. I am personally entertained and you'll find some star Wars fans, star Wars fans. Let me say just fandom in general have become so toxic at times. They can't even enjoy great stuff. They can't even right. just sit back and enjoy things. You know, there used to be a time Dave when people actually used to watch TV and just enjoy themselves, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you know, but I actually love the season finale. I thought the series was great. I think that it does take some time, as you said, for exposition and for the talent to kind of get into the groove, if you will, especially, you know, with, with everything going on. But I really enjoyed Book of Boba Fett and I'm a big longtime Star Wars fan. I grew up on the original trilogy. Um, I love the, the prequel trilogy just fine. And for the most part, overall, I loved everything else, you know, except for Last Jedi. But everything else is great, <laughs> right? So um, I can tell you it was good. So give it a shot. And I think it's more world building. And yeah, um, I, I, you know, I've watched the first uh, couple of episodes. I have to finish it. Yep. Uh, so don't, 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 don't uh, spoil any. No, I, I, I won't spoil right. it. I yeah, won't spoil no, it. I, I, so I, I, I do have to finish watching that and I'm going to try and do that in the next week or so. Yeah. Check out Disney plus another thing on Disney plus that I watched with the kids is ice age the adventures of buck wild. And, oh uh, yeah, this is the new one. <laughs> Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I give I mean, it. I, it's I, a great franchise. You know, the whole Ice Age is uh, a great franchise. I, I think. I think as a as a family and a and a kids film, I think it's great. It hits all the marks. It's goofy. It brings back you know some original talent, which is great. So if you love the Ice Age franchise, this will not disappoint. So it's just a really good way to kind of pass the time with the kiddos, and and they'll love it. And personally, I thought it was good. So, you know, it definitely gives a thumbs up. I get a bit, give it a thumbs up and I'm sure we'll be watching it again. Awesome. But, uh, but the thing I will, I will say just kind of off the beaten path, uh, Netflix has got this brand new documentary called the Tinder swindler. It just came out, um, international con man using Tinder to lure women into paying for his extraordinary, uh, extraordinary lifestyle. And it's awesome. I really Look, I'm a I'm an animal fan, and my wife and I are animal. We rescue animals, but we saw the the documentary that came out uh, last year, "Don't F with Cats," on um, which was basically about the hunt for a internet killer, and it's fascinating. The documentary is amazing. This one is an hour and a half. This one follows the exploits of this con man, and they nail him. You know, they nail them, oh, but, that's awesome. but, um, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on um, along the way, which is intriguing. And it makes my heart kind of go out to these people who are just looking for love, honestly, and they get taken advantage of, but you know, Hey, look, you know, what goes around comes around. Right. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I have to say, Al John, with the proliferation of all of these uh, streaming platforms, it's really giving uh, documentaries a big boost. 100%. Because, yep. be, because there's so many terrific documentaries that have been done over the years that a lot of people have never seen before. And now they're going to have a chance to see them on these streaming platforms. And of course, there's new new documentaries being made, obviously, every year. And some of them are really, really terrific. I've, I've watched, you know, quite a number of documentaries over the last few months and uh, just really, you know, well made uh, Agreed. and yeah. entertaining. And you walk away with a, a whole new perspective on the topic. One hundred percent. I uh, my wife and I make it a point to watch a documentary and a reality kind of documentary every every week. So um, it's really great, you know. So anyway, check it out. Uh, those are our picks for this week. And uh, hey, we want to hear from you. What have you been watching in the theater, in the comfort of your own home? Email Dave and myself. We would love to share your picks of the week, as well as your questions, comments, and reviews of the show. So please hit us up. And now it's time for, as we say, the news. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. I love it when the streaming services curate these special months like Black History Month and put it all together for you so you can check out and celebrate these stories of of triumph and diversity. I really dig it. So please check out the curated stories to celebrate Black history across all the different bundles through Disney Plus. Uh, they're expanding their cultural stories and uh, talking about all these great, uh, you know, people over time that have contributed, whether it's in the League of Sports or the Realm of Sports on ESPN Plus, as well as Hulu and, of course, Disney Plus. So you can check out all of that stuff. Um, they've got ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary with Dion's Double Play, ABC's recent reimagining of The Wonder Years, which showcases an African-American family now, which uh, I've always loved The Wonder Years, and I, I love those kind of retro shows. Uh, they have a brand new series called The Proud Family. And I say it's a new series, but it's actually a reboot of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. And, uh, of course, you've got Black Panther and the Winter Soldier and Falcon and the Winter Soldier um, from Marvel Studios, as well as Soul from Disney Pixar. So just a ton of great content there for you to enjoy, all curated uh, on those Disney platforms, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus and Hulu. Yeah, no, I think the, I think it's fantastic, and uh, they have a lot of material that they can uh, pull together uh, for these. And uh, you mentioned the Wonder Years that stars uh, Dooley Hill, yep, uh, who who was uh, one half of the Psych Team uh, uh, when that was on the air. That was one and of my he, favorite shows, he, by the way. Yeah, Psych. He, he's he's a, he's a terrific actor, and not only that, that the Psych uh, is uh, lives on in reruns and the occasional Psych movie that they do <laughs> absolutely it's yeah. hilarious <laughs> i love that i love that show but so many great talents to uh, definitely check out um i can tell you that one of my favorite stories um is actually one by lucasfilm red tails uh, i would definitely go out and seek yeah. out about the tuskegee airmen red tails with cuba gooding and, and the rest do, of the cast it's an amazing do, film. Do, do you know if that's on uh is that on uh, i think it's on disney, disney plus, plus. 
Mm-hmm. It is. I yeah. think it's on Disney. You know, Plus. There, there's another show. This was made probably 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Who Owns the Sun? Oh, okay. And I don't know if, you know, it's it's sort of a classic, you know, back in the the Disney live action days before yes. the, you know, the company changed management and everything. Yes, okay. uh, but uh, that that's a wonderful uh, show. Uh, and I, I hope that they have that on Disney Plus. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure they if they don't, they probably will soon. And one thing I will tell you, uh, which is really cool that I'm, I've got bookmarked is the summer of soul uh, when the revolution. Yes, the documentary. Te- televised. And, yeah. and, that, and that's got that's uh, one of the nominations in best documentary category. Uh, and it deserves to be yeah. there. You yeah. know, I mean, and, yeah. and a lot of people don't even know about that whole summer of soul because that was sort of the 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 flip side of the woods of Woodstock. You know, it was mm-hmm. like you had the Woodstock Festival with Rock and roll well you had the summer soul uh down in central park exactly you've got sly and the family stone bb king mm-hmm. we're just some of the people there aretha franklin so definitely go check that out um and today as this show launches it's valentine's day dave that's right it, it is, is valentine's day um, and uh, yeah. uh my heart goes out to all of our listeners <laughs> Are you sending little Valentine's Day jokes, <laughs> saying "Be mine" with little sweet tarts and stuff? And in, in I remember sending those when I was a kid when we were in school. But February, of course, means love is in the air. And whether I, I, you know, when Val, with Valentine's Day, I I always I always uh, think of uh, Ralph from The Simpsons. Yes, uh, <laughs> who gives Lisa a Valentine's card that uh, says, "I choose to I choose to choose you." Yes, yes, yeah. I love that. I, of course, of course. <laughs> hey, so some here's some uh, Disney Plus um, little statistics, if you will. All right. Yeah. So Disney viewers feel that Valentine's Day is the perfect occasion to show someone how much you care about them. And that's 85% of the audience. Okay. 91% says it feels nice to receive a Valentine's Day or gift card. And 88 I think that would be me. Like 100%, I love cards and gift cards even more. And uh, 88% say it feels nice to give a Valentine's Day or gift card. 72% of the viewers would rather stay in and watch TV or movies than go out on Valentine's Day. Is that right? And this wow. is for Disney Plus viewers, right? Um, Valentine's Day ads are also appreciated. <laughs> okay, that's fine, whatever. But uh, I just found it interesting that 72% of Disney viewers would rather stay in and watch TV or movies than go out on Valentine's Day. Man, that's a cheap date. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It I is. think uh, I'm, I, I, I have to be careful what I say about that kind of statistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. After I, all, it is a family show. It is. I know? think what we're it, that's true. Well, I think what we're I think uh, I think we're just going to go to a Mexican restaurant with a fam. That's what we're going to do for Valentine's Day. Fantastic. So along with the uh, book of Boba Fett wrapping up, uh, please catch up with that. Disney has also decided to. Uh, talk about the new series Obi-Wan, which is set to stream exclusively on Disney Plus, and it's going to debut on May 25th. Ewan McGregor, of course, reprising his role as the iconic Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And the story begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Star Wars, The Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan faced his greatest defeat, the downfall and corruption of his best friend and Jedi apprentice Anakin Skywalker, who turned to the dark side as evil Sith Lord Darth Vader. This also marks the return of Hayden Christensen, 
returning in the role of Darth Vader, a.k.a. Anakin Skywalker, and Moses Ingram, Joel Egerton, Bonnie Pease, Kumal Ninjani, um, Aranda Varma, Rupert Friend, uh, Kung Shang, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and Benny Sadfi is joining there, of course, uh, produced by Kathleen Kennedy and uh, Deborah Chow, Ewan McGregor, and Joby Harold. So once again, star-studded cast, international cast, I should say. And uh, it's going to be released, Dave, on the same day that Star Wars debuted on, in 1977. Wow. How about that? That's amazing. Yeah, that is. Really I'm looking cool. forward to this one. It, it looks it looks good. Ewan McGregor can't do any wrong. I, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of his films. Um, Kristen yeah. is a huge fan, so that's great. Um, one of your also uh, picks, Dave, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is coming to Disney+. Plus, and that's the award-winning, critically acclaimed Steven Spielberg production of West Side Story. Coming to Disney+, Plus only a few days away, March 2nd. Yeah, and, uh, and you yeah. know something? I, I can't stress this enough, and I was so happy to see some nominations for this film. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a lot of nominations, you know, seven of them. <laughs> yeah, and, and you want to know something? Uh, this is this is really a great film, and you know, I if you didn't have a chance to see it on a big screen, wow! Uh, but you know, the fact that it's going to come to Disney Plus, absolutely carve out some time to watch West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's, you know, take on the classic story. Uh, I, I think you'll really enjoy this, um, and I think it's a beautifully crafted film. Mm. You know, from the choreography to the sets to the lighting uh you know the casting was was fantastic uh and, and you know steven spielberg i think hit it out of the park with west side story and i think this is just a victim of the pandemic box office you yeah know? sure yeah, absolutely well i think uh, disney plus fans will love it when it comes there of course the film is directed by academy award winner the legendary steven spielberg a screenplay by pulitzer prize and tony award winner tony kushner it's just amazing of course i, I sang music from that when i was growing up uh in in school so it's going to be great to see on disney plus and nominated yeah, and, once and, again seven academy awards including best picture best director and best yeah. supporting actress yeah, and and you know something, I, I if Stephen's listening, and I hope he is to the Skull Rock podcast, <laughs> yes, we would love to have you on the show to yeah. talk about West Side Story before the award ceremony because this really is a gem of a movie. Well, you're on IMDb Pro, Dave. So why don't you go ahead and just email him uh, and, and and reach out to him and his people, and we'll you'll have lunch. It'll be great. Everybody will have a good time. Um, Katharina Zeta Jones uh, is joining Disney Plus too in this uh, new press release. National Treasure, of course. We we talked about this, uh, and um, she is going to be in there. Um, on Disney Plus, the expansion of National Treasure movie franchise is centered on a young heroine, uh, Jess, who's played by Lisette Alexis and a brilliant, resourceful dreamer who embarks on the adventure of a lifetime to uncover the truth about her family's mysterious past and save a lost Pan-American treasure. Zeta-Jones will play portray Billy, a badass billionaire black market antiques expert and treasure hunter. Now that was, that was written by Disney plus by the way, uh, who lives by her wow. own code 
and she transformed herself into a penniless orphan to a shrewd, stylish businesswoman and adventurer. So that looks really cool. Of course, big fan of Miss um, Zeta Jones, and uh, it's going to be great. So we're looking forward. I'm, to I'm looking that. forward to this. I like the National uh, Treasure franchise, and so uh, I'll I'll be avidly watching this to see how they do with uh, the original series. Same here. I wonder if they'll bring back um, Nick Cage. You know? Hey, maybe maybe he'll do a cameo. Maybe he'll do a cameo. Yeah. It would be it'd yeah. be great because we've got all those movies on Blu-ray back in the yeah. day. Uh, so Beauty and the Beast prequel we talked about has been put on hold. Of course, Luke Evans reprising his role as Gaston and uh, Josh Gad in there as LeFou. It's been pushed back because of the challenges of production during this time, Dave. Um, I'm not surprised. And, and, and also scheduling. Yeah. You scheduling. know, I mean, it, it's just, you know, with productions being shut down this past year and the start and stop because of COVID and all of that, uh, this was bound to happen. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to happen more frequently uh, in the coming months where, you know, shows that were slipped on the schedule are starting to bump up against hard outs for talent who have other things booked, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, you know, they, they say they're going to make this. So let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Gad, who was set to serve as showrunner alongside Once Upon a Time from ABC, uh, creators Edward Kittis and Adam Horowitz has a packed schedule with a central role in Apple's animated con- comedy Central Park. So he's got a lot of stuff on his plate. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that'll come back. I, I think this show is going to be really cool. Uh, I really enjoyed the Beauty and the Beast live action. Um and I snuck this one in because I'm a big fan of the Orville. You know, we we, we talked about it in, in previous episodes, but Hulu delays Orville season three on Hulu, and it's been pushed to June. So be on the lookout uh, for it. We've been waiting years for this sequel, and everybody who loves sci-fi and Star Trek and, and Seth MacFarlane like I do, please watch all the episodes on Hulu, put them on repeat. So we get more (laughs) of the Orville because I love it. Um, Also on Hulu, Futurama, Dave, you sent me this. Uh, Matt Groening and David Cohen is going to return along uh, voice stars, Billy West, the legendary Billy West and Katie Seagal, among others, which I love Futurama, Dave. And it's great. This is is just great news. Uh, What what I uh, have to say, I mean, they're they're, there. Hulu's ordered 20 new episodes, but I, I honestly just start remaking these, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just start making more of these. It's, it, it's a, it's a show that's beloved. It has a huge fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love it in our house. Uh, my daughter, Marley loves this show. That's great. Uh, and all I, uh, I, I mean, just give it multiple series, you know, orders. Uh, and it's another Simpsons. Yeah. It's great. And you I know? love all the sci-fi references. It's so smart. But yeah, like the it's Simpsons, smart, it's, it's smartly great. written, but it's like they, they they did so many years of it, then they stopped making it. Then there was a gap. Then they said, Oh, well, we're gonna reboot it. And then they, they did some more and then they stopped. And now Hulu's picking it up, say, oh, okay, we're gonna do 20 more. I mean, come on, just just sit there and say, give them a four season order. Exactly. Know? Just order it. Just order it. You're gonna love it. Uh, it's bounced back and forth between Fox and CBS or Comedy Central or, I'm sorry, Cartoon Network and, you know, just like everything else. So just go ahead and order it. Just do yeah. it. All right. Well, in some sad bit of news, you know, uh, everybody misses Bob Saget, of course, the the 
the world is still mourning his loss of a death that gone too soon. And then you shared this information tidbit with me when he was found. Apparently, he had some brain uh, injury. He he fell and hit his head before going to sleep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of those like. It should never have happened, but apparently uh, he had some head trauma from a fall he took and didn't get, get didn't get looked at. He just went to bed and died in his sleep uh, from this head trauma. So that was really sad to hear, but that's what the uh, uh, the coroner has come out with as a cause of death, which yeah. is is very very sad. Yeah, no drugs or alcohol involved whatsoever. He no. just. It just accidentally yeah, he, hit his he head. Was, he, by the way, they did say he had tested positive for COVID. Well, sure. So, so you know, I mean, nowadays that means almost nothing because you could test positive for COVID and not have any symptoms at all. Well, yes, and we you know? and we also know that when you're when you're found posthumously, you know, you can contract it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just what happens. It just falls on you. There you go. Everybody yeah, gets, you has go. COVID when you, when you pass away. But it is a very sad, uh, sad state for sure. Um, so thank you for that tidbit, gang. If you've got any other things you want us to cover, feel free to email us. We'd love to talk about it here on the show. And uh, I guess we're moving on to our guest of the week, Dave. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Oh, well, once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a fantastic guest. We have Alan Bodner, art director uh, extraordinaire, I might add. Uh, He's been in the business for decades. He's an Emmy award-winning art director who's worked at the Walt Disney Company, Warner Brothers, DreamWorks, the Cartoon Network, Filmation. He's worked on shows like Mighty Mouse, The Fat Albert Show, Heckle and Jekyll, Pee-wee's Playhouse, uh, Looney Tunes. He's also art directed on Iron Giant, the feature, which is just an incredible feature if you haven't seen it. And not only that, he's currently art directing on the Mickey Mouse Funhouse. Uh, and uh, I mean, he's just done so much stuff. Alan, welcome to the show. See, our audience, our, our studio audience goes <laughs> wild for our guests. I'm telling you, uh, Alan, it's so great to see you. It's been it's been now a couple of years because of the pandemic that I have not seen you in person. I know. It's amazing. But here we are. Here now. we are. Here we are. And you know something? You have such an amazing career as not only an artist, uh, but an art director and and really have touched a lot of great shows in animation. But I always uh, want to ask the guests that come on to the Skull Rock podcast, you know, how did you get into uh, becoming an art director? I mean, how, how did, like, where did you go to school? Were you, were you the kid in high school that was, you know, doing up artwork to get the girls and stuff like that? I mean, tell us your story. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of wild because I've really been thinking a lot about, you know, what are these influences that I've had, you know, since I was a kid Fortunately for me, my biggest influences came from my family. My father and his brother and a couple partners were in the toy business and were toy distributors in the Northwest. So I grew up in the midst of every new toy that was coming out. It was in their showroom and they had all these great events around the toys and buyers would come and see the toys. So 
it was just very colorful uh, growing up as a kid. And plus my grandfather on my mother's side of the family was a women's coat and suit manufacturer. So I had all these artistic influences and there was like a, a showroom in my grandfather's shop where they would do um, fashion shows. And I would just like pretend I was in a fashion show. <laughs> I mean, my imagination was really amped up probably more so than, you know, a lot of kids are able to get. And um, I did a commercial when I was a child for a toy commercial. And I just was so influenced by those visuals. But oddly enough, I never really saw myself doing art. I really uh, was heading on another path, believe it or not, to become a dentist. And really? A dentist? <laughs> wow! Because I, I just never that, was like thinking that, that That's a art- first. That is a first on the Skull Rock <laughs> podcast that we're talking to an artist who was originally going to be a dentist. Holy yeah. smokes. I, it, it, it was really kind of funny because I was taking this class at the University of Oregon in painting and uh, the teacher came over to me because I was painting these big canvases just for my own enjoyment. And he says, what are you planning on doing with this art? And I said, um, hey, I'm really planning to be a dentist. And he just kind of shook his head. And he said, no. <laughs> he said, you see these people around you, they're not artists. You are. You can't be in this school. And I'm like, what? And that was the big light bulb that went off. And he said, you got to go look at some professional art schools. And that is what you should be doing. And And it just kind of resonated. I thought, wow, I've never heard that before. And I'm really not doing that great in the sciences here. So, you know, that that's actually really amazing, though, that one person at that moment in time said something to you that basically changed your career path. Yeah, it really it does happen. And, it, and I really thank him for for doing that. And I wish I could see him today to tell him that. But I don't know what happened. But, wow. yeah, it was a very big moment. And I left University of Oregon and started to look into arts. And it turned out that, you know, I came down to L.A. Uh, to see what the art schools were here because I heard about Art Center and I heard about Cal Arts. And I went to, to those places to see them. And I liked Cal Arts a lot. I thought that was a really amazing place. But when they told me, you have to, you can do anything you want to do. And I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. But Art Center said, you know, you can be an illustrator. Here's your whole path and here's what you're going to do. And I thought that's really sounds more like me. And I took that option up. And so, yeah, I, you, you know, I, I and I think that that's very true because Cal Arts is a school that's more conceptual art. Uh, whereas uh, Art Center uh, has uh, a more structured program, uh, and uh, and if you're not sure what you want to do, you know that structured program may be the better option. Yeah, well, it was truly the better option for me, and I and uh, I loved going there, and I learned a great deal, and I and I didn't beat myself up going there either. I really had a lot of fun doing it. I worked hard. And, and when I got out, I, you know, tried to illustrate and 
I don't know, illustration and the idea of being uh, in my own room, kind of like I am now, <laughs> was really not all that appealing to me. I, I, I really liked the camaraderie of being with the friends and colleagues in art school. And I, and I really wanted to know where is that? And I started to think about the animation industry because I've always loved animation and I, and I've always loved, um, you know, just, I'm really, I watched so many cartoons as a kid. I just love that stuff. I thought, well, I'm in Los Angeles. Why don't I go over here and see what these studios are doing? And as it turned out, um, filmation studio at the time was starting to hire all these new artists and young artists because so many of the other artists of the generations were retiring or dying. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> why aren't they getting people in? And I think Cal Arts was really getting going at that point because they realized there was a need to fill, you know, get these artists into the workplace. So I got a job at Filmation in the background painting department. And I, and I've been painting backgrounds really since, I mean, I, I loved being in that department, it was so fun. And I learned so much about it. If I thought I learned something in school, I mean, I, I feel like I went to a master's course in painting when I got into the animation industry. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I I often tell people is that you can go through four years of art school, but that first job you get, you're going to learn more in the first six months than you did in those four years. Uh, you know, being in a studio setting and really understanding the whole process and, and, and the various disciplines, right? Oh, God, yes. And, and just to be around so many talented artists who are just doing this phenomenal stuff. It was, it was really, you can either be intimidated by that stuff or you can kind of go, wow, look what I get to do. I get to see with these great artists and I can be part of it and I can learn and get better and better and better. And that's really where I went with it. I just loved it. So how, how long were you doing background paintings for? Um, I spent probably the first I want to say you know, 14 years of my career painting backgrounds. And I really didn't have any, you know, desire to do art direction. I didn't even really understand what the art direction was, <laughs> quite honestly. And uh, Warner Brothers Classics, which I was in, started, you know, made me an art director, like in the kind of toward the end of my being in Warner Classics. And then I started to do... Uh, some shorts, which we were having a ball doing. And, and I got to really art direct those, do the layout and supervise the painting. And I was like, this is really kind of cool. And, but the real art direction lesson, I have to admit, <laughs> came when I got my job on Iron Giant. I mean, quite honestly, I really didn't know fully what an art director totally did. And then I got this job on Iron Giant and that was the crash course. And, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be overall look at the layout. You gotta look at the background. You gotta check in with color. You've got to check in with, um, you know, when they're compositing everything. And it was thrilling and, and a scare fest 
throughout the whole thing. Because <laughs> it was like I go into these meetings sometimes not knowing what am I doing. And, and it was like on the job training, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I really kind of got it together and I learned a lot from, uh, from Brad Bird. You know, he gave me a lot of talks about, you know, watching films and looking at, uh, you know, different old movies. And I mean, it was like not looking just at animation, but looking sure. at live action. And, yeah. I, and it was like all this film study that I ne really never got, I started to get. And I really appreciated the fact that that I was getting to learn it and work and do it at the same time it was really great. Did, did, um, I, you know, I, I, I have to say like Iron Giant is really a, a great movie, uh, but it just wasn't marketed very well when it was released to the theaters, I don't think, but, but there's a big following to it. And I, I would say to our audience, if you haven't seen Iron Giant, you should absolutely see it. And I'm sure you can probably find it on one of the streaming services. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's really not too many times that go by that I don't hear reference to that film. It was really hit a nerve, and uh, it was, it was an amazing film to be part. And, and, and also, it just seems like it was, uh, it was like you being thrown into the deep end. You know, I, I wasn't the only person that was that that happened to. I think there was a lot of people on that show that were having the same experience that I was. But it really just proved that, you know, if you're put to the challenge and, and you have a really great leader, you know, who's encouraging you and, yeah. uh, you know, you can do all kinds of things. And, you know, in some regards, it was probably great that I didn't know all, all that stuff because I tried things that I would never have done before. I mean, I had never done a color script before and I did it and it was like, very cool. And you know, I look at it today and I go, if I had, if I had had the ability to do what, you know, what I can do now, then that would really be cool. But for what it was, it was terrific. And I, I also learned how to use Photoshop. I never, we were just starting to use Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I didn't even know how to do it. And, and I was taught on the job by doing clouds. I did tons of clouds and they were used in the film. Yeah, um, but it was like what a way to learn a tool. It was like learning how to airbrush. Yeah, I want to step back for a second because you 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 said something. You uh, you used the term color script. Can you tell our audience what a color script is? Sure. Um, it really is like doing taking little moments of uh, of the story and going through the storyboards. I kind of follow the story in board and pages and I would pick out key moments. So, you know, I go through the whole thing and I would find moments that, you know, change. Like there was a scene where something would change within the scene going into the next scene in different location. And I would kind of build a page or two or three pages. And it turned out to be like, you know, maybe over, you know, 200 little, you know, panels. They're, they're like little thumbnail panels. They're, yeah. like, they're like, like, like two inches by three inches or even smaller than that. Yeah. Well, at the time yeah. they were, because, um, I was, when I was painting on Iron Giant, those paintings were only like two or three inches big. Yeah. Um, 
but I, but I, but I do that to this day. I'll go through the, to, through the show and I'll pick out key moments and I'll build, you know, all, all these panels on pages. Then I can see what the action is, what is taking place throughout the line of the story. And then I'll start to plug in what the mood will be. What, what, what is this color moment look like? I mean, is it a happy moment? Is it a sad moment? You know, does it build up to this really dramatic moment where I, where you got to get really crazy with the colors and then you go back to a neutral color. These are all the kinds of things that now you have to start to think about. But what this color script does is not only for my use, it's for the, the color department, for, for the background painters. I'm really kind of establishing what the color of those scenes are going to be. I don't paint them fully to make them look like, you know, I've rendered out the whole thing to the T. I just try to give lighting direction, what the mood is, what the time of day is, anything that would kind of help give them the idea of what they're going to do with their background. Because, you know, everybody is, if you're working with a large group of people, you know, they have to follow a plan. Sure. You can't just say, uh, you know, go ahead and go paint this thing and then we'll hook it up later to somebody else's. Everybody has to know what the other guy's doing. And in the best scenario, I always tell people, go over and see what he's doing. Go over and talk to them and see what they're painting because your thing is hooking up to theirs. Yeah. And, and, and basically, I mean, it's so true. If you don't have a roadmap, you're going to be lost. Yes. Right. It is so true. And, yeah. and, you know, I love doing that. That's probably one of the fun things that I really like to do are those color scripts. Um, and they do help with, you know, props that are in there. They help with what the color of character costumes are, what the lighting is going to be on those costumes. So there's a lot of people are taking information from them. So if you, if you were doing a color script that, you know, was taking, you know, the film or, or the show was taking place throughout an entire day from early morning until nighttime, we'd be able to look at that color script and see that, you know, beautiful sunrise, those warmth, uh, you know, the high noon, uh, the twilight and going into darkness. And you'd see all of that color changing on those panels. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, it's something that uh, I think is so vitally important to to shows and feature films. Uh, And uh, I know, uh, uh, Al John, I was going to mention down at the Art of Animation Resort in Orlando, uh, when you go into the main building where the, you know, the reception desk is for checking in and, you know, they have the, the sundry shop and everything, there's a whole wall of color scripts in there. One, I think, is from Cars, and I believe the other one, I think maybe Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Yeah. Nice. So, but that, that's an opportunity for people to see, you know, color scripts blown up, you know, huge on, uh, you know, uh, just these rows and rows of panels. Uh, and, and, and it makes for a beautiful presentation, I think. Oh, they really are. And yeah. the last series that I worked on the Tangled series, I mean, I spent probably 90% of my time on, during the, that whole um, series doing color scripts. And I mm. would paint like 
<laughs> I mean, every two weeks I had like a hundred paintings done. It was like amazing. Well, it's a beautiful show for one. Every show. And I think our audience should know you won an Emmy award for that. Yeah, that was a real surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got an Emmy award for your art direction on Tangled the series. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was really, it was really great. I mean, I, I really have always, you know, I, I, I try to aim for, for the highest that I can go. And it's really more of a game with myself rather than, you know, I want to compete with everybody and be noticed for that. I really think it's more about, you know, just always doing the best with whatever you got in front of you. And well, I, I mean, I think that's the best, the, the, the best philosophy to have is, is that you go into whatever it is you're doing to do the best you possibly can. And, uh, and, you know, after the fact, if you get recognized for it, well, that's really great, you know, and, and it's baloney that, you know, just being nominated is the honor in, in and of itself. Cause you want to win. Sure. <laughs> I do. And I want I wanted to get it for the people who are, who have made it with me. It's like, look, we did a great thing. Let's, yeah. Let's celebrate this thing. Now, yeah, what's the big difference for you in art directing a feature as opposed to art directing, say, you know, uh, Phineas and Ferb or uh, the Mickey Mouse Funhouse? Um, I think for me, I really like doing series. I don't know, for some reason, doing series, you know, you have to get things done kind of quickly. It has to be efficient and, and you can still have a great time creating a, a style and look for things. And I, but I like that challenge. I, I felt like when I was in the features, that was, there was so many levels of approvals and, and that, that it kind of, it's like, I just want to, get this thing going here. And, yeah. and when, sometimes when there's so many voices, um, I find it very difficult to do the best that I can do with it. Yeah, because, it, you know, there's just a, a lot of times on, on some of these features, there's just way too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I've seen that even on the TV side where, you know, when you're first starting these shows and then you have, you know, so many people want to weigh in on the development of it that, you know, I find myself kind of like kind of stepping back and because I don't want to barrage the artists with so many things. They don't know who they're talking to and who yeah. please for this. And if it, you know, if I really felt like, okay, I don't think this is going quite where you want it to go. Can I please have, have a say here? Yeah. Um, but I do like that about, television and not even television. I mean, we're doing things now for, for, I feel like our just as big a screen at home than, yeah. we, than in the theater. It's just like, I need some of this stuff. It's just as good as anything you'd see in the theater. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I, and I also imagine that, uh, you know, when, when you're working on, uh, uh, on shows or a series, uh, without that many cooks in the kitchen, there's more spontaneity, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It is. Really and, and that's really where I think that's where a lot of the magic comes from is that spontaneity. Well, it is. And, you know, and you're, you know, you let, you let people take ownership of their part in it too. And you get really great stuff. 
So, yeah, because they, they get really jazzed up as artists, I think, when, when they have that ownership uh, and they're not just automatrons listening to 20 different voices telling them to do this, that or the other thing. And half of them are conflicting, aren't they? Half those half those notes are conflicting notes. I think that, you know, it's not the best scenario when I hear stuff like that. And, uh, and though a lot of. I mean, the younger people who come into the business now that I, you know, had pleasure working alongside with, you know, they will do the series stuff and then they're like really anxious to get out so they can go on to this other thing. And I'm, and it's like, I'm like looking at it like, just slow down, you know, relax, you know, enjoy what you're doing for a while. Cause you know, you're, you're going to throw yourself into a fire here in a moment. Yeah. Just get good at what it is you're doing right now and then jump. Yeah, that, that, well, you know, it, there, there's always, there's always those people that come into the business that are, you know, they're working on something, but they're always looking for the next thing. They're not satisfied with the thing they're working on. And then when they get onto the next thing, you know, they, they're happy for about two seconds and then they're starting to look for the next thing to make them happy. Right. I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I don't know. Is it, maybe it's the way that I was brought into this business. But, you know, when you got on the show, you kind of went with the show and you stayed with it till the very end. You know, it was yeah. like, you just like, you know, it's like, I, I can't let, I can't let this thing go. And, yeah. but that, philosophy seems to have changed a lot. So, so there's people that are coming on and they're there for a couple of episodes and something else comes along and they're like, Hey, I gotta go. See ya. Bye. I haven't seen it on, I didn't, I didn't see it too much untangled and I'm not really seeing it on the fun house. Cause it's such a, it's such a charming show that yeah. people really want to stay for a while. And I'm glad. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, to me, uh, the business has shifted uh, in recent years with the streaming services, right? Because it just seems like, you know, television animation or series animation is, is uh, I mean, there's so much going on, uh, not only with children's shows, but it runs the gamut uh, all the way up to sort of adult oriented shows like, you know, The Simpsons and, you know, BoJack Horseman when it was in production or, you know, some of the other uh, more adult oriented shows, you know, Rick and Morty and those kinds of, uh, of shows. Have you seen a, a big proliferation of uh, uh, of series television? Yeah, it, it definitely is growing. I mean, I I definitely see it on Netflix, and I mean, I kind of go through these on my own television, and I just can't believe all the variety that's out there. I mean, it really is the gambit of ideas. I still like the more. Um, I don't know, I, I guess I like animation for, you know, for younger people or people of all ages, but just more playful stuff. I didn't, I didn't really go in the adult direction of animation, although I did do Neighbors from Hell. Yeah, I, I, no, I noticed that on your IMDb, Neighbors from Hell. Can you tell us what that was about? And Aside was, from Neighbors from Hell? <laughs> well, it's kind of like a family that was, that was from hell. And they came to live on the surface. And I think it really could have been 
even more pushed and outrageous, but I think um, DreamWorks um, and the studios that were doing it pulled it back. So I don't think the writers ever got to do what they really wanted to do with it because it was, it was pretty tame when it finally came out. And so it was probably too much for a younger audience and not enough for the older audience. I don't think the older audience really was getting into it. And um, it was, there was some funny stuff in there, but they just wouldn't let it get crass enough. Yeah. Well, it's, it's right up my alley, so... I dig it. <laughs> if, it had, if it had really like gone over the top with that stuff, I think it would have had a life. But either you have to commit to it, either you're going to do it or you're not. <laughs> and they had backing. I mean, it was Fox that was behind it. and Yeah, and they're, they're no strangers to doing more of the adult-oriented no. uh, animation, you know? But it was, it was Bento Box's first uh, show, and... There was only one production when I was there. And wow. And they're huge now. I, I know. I was going to say they're, they're, they're like multinational and they're, they're a monster organization, aren't I they? I, yeah, they are. They're just, I, I think, aren't they doing the Simpsons now too at Bento Box? Sure about that one, but it could very well be. But yeah. they, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I, the, one of the reasons that I like doing that is because they allow, you know, us to do something really kind of designy looking yeah is not par for the course for a lot of those shows and 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 that may be the real truth of the matter why i don't head to you know more of the adult things is because i like working in real stylized shows and and things that have a lot of a graphic look or they're or they're really kind of going in that direction i'm not I don't, I don't really want it to look like, uh, you know, the writing is going to be excellent on this show, but you're never going to remember the style of the show. <laughs> right, right. And I want to do something that you're going to remember the style of Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I also uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, think that uh, today there there is just so much going on in the industry that there, you know, back when I think we first started out, you know, you had Hanna-Barbera, Ruby Spears, Filmation. But now there's so many different studios that are doing things. Uh, And I I think that's so exciting. It really is. I, I think for anybody who's kind of coming into the, you know, out of school now, I mean, it, there was just so much for you to go do. I mean, it just blows my mind. I, when I went to our center, you know, they were not pushing animation film at all. It was all illustration and, you know, we're going to do the greatest orange crate label that ever was. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, the, I don't think illustrators or artists go to Art Center to become illustrators. And they're, they're there to be visual development artists and get in film and television. Yeah. It's like a whole new game. Yeah. It, 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 is the series work, is that seasonal still? Uh, or, or is it pretty much year-round employment? Well, um, Fortunately, I have been on shows that have gone for like three seasons. And so you could be on a series for, you know, five years. Yeah. And, and that is 
I mean, I certainly had some years where I was on a show for two years and I didn't really totally mind it though. I, it was, I never felt like I'm not going to find something I'm going to, once something looked like it was going to wrap up, I mean, I was already talking to people and it's nice to go to different studios and connect in with new people and new artists. And, you know, it's, I admit it's a little scary because you don't know, you know, where you're going, but and every show that you get on, you know, there's new rules that are created. Sure. Sure. That's what's great about animation is like no show is the same. It's all different. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, like years ago, you know, 25, 30 years ago, there would be, uh, you know, sort of, if you worked in series television, you knew you were going to be out of work for two or three months out of the year. I do you know? remember that. that was, yeah. And that, and that, that seems to have all gone away. It just seems like there's continuous work now year round. Uh, in series television. And like you said, you, if you're on a show, that's a great show. And you could go continuously for five years before they decide to wrap the show up. And a lot of the times they're not wrapping those shows for any other reason than they've got a hundred or 125 episodes, right? Yeah. They seem to have a number. And then once they've reached that, it's like, okay, on to the next one. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the exception to that would be uh, the Simpsons, or South Park, which I think is starting their 25th season. Amazing. Or, yeah, or, um, you know, Bob's Burgers or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, which I, I find really interesting. It just seems like there's a few of these little gems that pop up and they just keep making new shows because it's so, um, I guess, you know, really timely as far as their scripts go because they're touching on, you know, pop culture. I mean, I, I, I was blown away when, uh, when they, they dredged up that clip of uh, Lisa on The Simpsons uh, referring to President Trump back in the 90s or something. Wow. You know? And, and, and I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Wow. Yeah. So aside from being an art director on all of these shows that you're doing, you are also a fine artist. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you got into that? Because you have some really incredible fine artwork that uh, people can see on your website, which is alanbodner.com. Yes. If people go to alanbodner.com, you be you can go into his art shop and see some of the, the fine artwork. But talk a little bit about that. Uh, I have always loved, um, you know, doing my own art and, um, and as I, we had talked a little earlier about this day, but, uh, you know, I asked people who are in the business, you know, years ago who were kind of heading toward retirement and, you know, what are you going to do when you retire? And they would say to me, uh, oh, I got all these plans in my own art. I'm going to do this and that. And when they did get there, they, they were too tired to do it and they had other things that they found interesting to do. And I just thought, I can't, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just start doing this stuff now. And I and that now was like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I started to do uh, subjects that I like. And I mean, I, I have to admit a lot of the styling that I do for my own art is really kind of 
things that I've learned in animation and, and the things that I love the most, you know, doing graphic as some illustrations and using sponges and, and, you know, paintbrushes, kind of like when I was painting backgrounds, I learned so many different neat techniques and I started to apply that to my own images. And I would, try to figure out what is it that I want to talk about in my own art. And, and the things that I love the most are, you know, music and dance and, and um, early 60s television. And I love mid-century design. And I just thought, I'm just going to start doing um, some pieces based on that idea. So I would challenge myself and I'd say, okay, you're going to do a series of 10 musicians and then I do the 10 musicians and then I said okay I love musicals I'm gonna do eight paintings on musicals and just the musicals I like and our musical that's current and it just really evolved this I kind of took the subject matter out of my worrying about what it is I want to do and just did stuff I love to do but then allowed myself time to really um, kind of get into how I want to style things. And it kind of took me on a nice journey. I started to do these dimensional pieces and I still do. I love doing these things. And they're like on paperboard and I figure them all out. I, I cut them out, I paint them, I sand them and then I put them all together. And, I, and I've had several showings with these things. And when I get tired of doing those, then I'll go back to doing kind of illustration design and as my fine art. And I don't mind calling it illustration because, I mean, I really studied to be an illustrator. So I thought that was a really great thing to be able to do. Um, and I, I just keep on coming up with new things. And I, and I love doing it. And now I, I do have some representation of it. I have finally got, and um, I'm very excited about that. And there's, I'm starting to look at uh, additions and proofs of my work. And, and I, you know, so I really feel like my, you know, I will never retire because <laughs> I like. Well, you know, and I, I think that, I think that's hugely important. I, I mean, to me, and I said this to you before, before we started recording, uh, I, you know, retirement's not in my vocabulary, you know, it's like, I, I, I've got so many different projects and so many different things that I'm working on that, you know, to me, I'm just having a ball because I get to do things I want to do, which is what you're doing with your fine art. You're doing things you want to do. And by the way, I pulled up one page, which I absolutely love. It's called At the Beach Wall Art. And I, I absolutely adore the canoodle lures. <laughs> I, I, I think they're fantastic. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful. And I think people should go and check them out. I also love the fact that you're able to uh, put these things onto uh, lifestyle, you know, coffee mugs or face masks or beach bags or phone cases. And I, I think that is just absolutely cool. Uh, you know, I mean, you've got these, uh, the Batgirl image. I mean, I just always loved your style, Alan. I mean, oh, I really always have enjoyed 
enjoyed it because there's just something whimsical and, and fun and it makes you smile when you look at, at, at your artwork. I, I appreciate that a lot because, you know, there's a part of me that, um, I don't know, and on some level, I feel like I'm kind of entertaining people and I like, I have my own little show going on here. And yeah, but that's, is, but isn't, isn't that what art is all about though? I yeah. mean, you're, you're, you're doing the art to satisfy uh, an urge that you have. You're creating something that you enjoy and you put it up on a wall and you're hoping that a, a viewer is going to have a similar reaction to it. You know, and, and, and that's, I, I mean, I think that's a big reward for when you're, when you're a creator. Oh, it is. I, I really like it. You know, I, I get a lot of um, good feelings of just, you know, having people say they, you know, they've seen it, they like this, or it's great. And, and, I, and I encourage other artists, you know, who I work with, you know, it's like when you, you know, if you have time, do you know, find a, your voice and do some of your own stuff, you know, find out what you like to do. It's a really great journey. Yeah. Are, are you, uh, are you have any shows coming up uh, of your fine artwork at all? Any gallery shows? Um, I just started to get my work into an amazing gallery, which is in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And I uh, was just, really just the beginning of this relation and um i'm hopeful that i will have a showing um with them at some point down the road here in the next you know, maybe half a year and i don't know quite yet that how that's going to go but there are some other places now that i'm connecting into that i you know i definitely will have another art show i just don't have the data yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, I, everything is sort of uh, slippery with this pandemic. So, yeah, you great. know, it's it, 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 ho hopefully that's receding in the rearview mirror at some point uh, in the next few months as as Omicron drops off fairly quickly. Uh, let me ask you this. Are you doing most of your work digitally or are you are you actually painting on boards? Well, um, just to show you. <laughs> That I don't just do it digitally. I am painting oh, this on a board right and now. <laughs> Alan, Alan is showing us a uh, a painting in progress on a board of a group of musicians, and it almost feels like a Rat Packish kind of uh, uh, it illustration. It is. It's the yeah. Rat Pack. Nice. nice. I'm liking that. Uh, I do too. But yeah. do you, do, do, do you, you do most of your series work uh, digitally, though, right? I do. I I have been painting on you know digitally now for you know, God, it's like twenty years. Yeah. But I love working digitally. I really do. I really embraced it and I enjoy it. And I've made brushes. You know, I painted things and I've scanned them in and made brushes out of them, so I can kind of retain a little bit of a feeling of my painting. But but that's why I. Um, we'll do these dimensional pieces and, you know, and these paintings, I have my painting station is like four feet away from my other desk. And I, and I really go back and forth and I'm trying to even go further with my original paintings because I haven't really painted the way I was painting at Warner Brothers when I was airbrushing and doing all that stuff. I don't airbrush anymore. I right. 
I don't really want to get into that. I think I inhaled so much tank. I don't need anymore. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I want to paint and I'm still doing it. I, I really mourn the loss of cartoon color paints because I absolutely love cell vinyl paints. And if anybody knows where to get cell vinyl paints, I really want to know. Is, it, is cartoon color not, uh, not doing it anymore? No, they're gone. And I mean, there are some people who really subscribe to it some of the new ones that they have at the stores and I've tried a lot of them out and I just, I, I just like, I never get cell vinyl. Yeah. I mean, those paints were unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's interesting uh, uh, when when you're going back and forth. Do you, do you feel like the, you know, the next generation that's coming in is just all digital? Are they uh, or or do some of them uh, uh, paint on boards with brushes and paints? I think that most of them don't paint traditionally and they might have taken one or two classes, you know, in traditional paint or they've yeah. taken drawing classes where they painted from the figure and, you know, they're using charcoal or whatever, but no, they're not. And, you know, and it's too bad because I really think that, that I learned so much about how to use color and how to mix. I mean, I can look at something and know how to get that color, but it's a whole different deal when you're sitting on the computer doing it because you can change things in so many different ways. And as much as I love, you know, working digitally, I, I like being able to have a physical piece of art that's, that's created. And quite honestly, um, when I do these print editions, I, I do get a sense of that I'm doing original art because I get to go back and forth with the, you know, the printer and I, I, I can adjust things and I wanted to kind of have a silkscreen look about it. So there's certain things that I'm looking for that kind of keep it up being fine art. Yeah. Are you doing hand embellishments on any of your prints at all? Yeah. And on this next group of things that I'm doing there, there will be some of that. And I'm trying to, I'm just now figuring out where I'm going to, how I'm going to do it and what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's new things that I'm learning now too. Yeah, and ju- just for the audience, uh, uh, hand embellishing is that if Alan uh, does, you know, 25 prints, he goes and touches each one of them, uh, typically with a brush or something where he's he's embellishing a, a, some additional element or color into the silkscreen or the, the, the lithograph print. Uh, and that's the hand embellishment, uh, which almost makes each one sort of an original, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. You know, but I think it's very exciting. I, 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 I always have admired your style and always enjoyed uh, seeing your work uh, because it's just, it's so fun and, and colorful. And, and like I said earlier, it makes me smile uh, when I look at your artwork. Oh, great. Well, I'm definitely, that feels good to hear because I, I really think of, if I've done any of that, then I'm doing my job. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know, Alan, I, but let me interject. Uh, I too love it. I love the high contrast. I love the style of it. 
Um, but I have to say, you know, like Dave mentioned, the 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 music um, that you're inspired by, the pop culture you're inspired by that comes out in your art, I have to know if any one of those musicians or actors, actresses uh, had seen your art and had commented about it. Because I, I see the Alice Cooper piece and the Kiss piece, and I happen to know some of those people. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, so what, what do they, what would they say? Because if I, if I send in one and then say, Hey, by the way, you need to check this out. <laughs> uh, what would, what, uh, have you gotten any kind of feedback from those, uh, those artists at all? Um, I am always happy that if one of them sees it, um, I, I did have, uh, I did do a piece for Michael Buble, um, and it was used, um, in variety and he, and the print was made and he was sent to him and he really loved it. So that was really cool. Nice. And just recently, uh, I, I had a piece from Meatloaf because I was a huge Meatloaf fan. Oh, sure. That's awesome. And yeah. uh, one of my friends, uh, Rick Farmelow. Oh, I know Rick. As uh, friends with Patty, who was the gal he was singing that mm-hmm. song with. Right, right. And he just sent it to them and Robbie Benson to, and said, hey, check this out. And she really liked it. So that oh. felt really, really We'll We'll have to get Rick Farmelow on the show. We, we, he, I, I've known him for years. He is such a cool guy. <laughs> he is. He, he, he's like a rock and roller. He's like <laughs> the rock and roller of, of animation, you know? I was watching a... a uh, uh, documentary on Ricky Nelson. I thought, that's Rick Normal. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So, uh, what's next for Alan? Uh, what's next for you? Um, I am at the at the moment. I'm as far as my own art goes. I'm doing a series uh, based on silent films, and I've been totally immersed in this. Oh, that is awesome! And. Uh, uh, we moved to Hollywood about, I guess it's been about six months ago, just for the sheer experience of Hollywood and doing something different. And my both of my kids are in college, and I thought, you know, let's do something kind of cool here for a little bit before we decide what we really want to do next with living and whatever. But but I, I thought I'd like to move to Hollywood because I bet it will inspire things. And sure enough, I, I drive around here and I look at things and I, from the Capitol records to, you know, where the Hollywood palace is. And it's like, I feel such, like such a geek in so, so many ways because I love that old Hollywood and I'm like yeah. right near Gower studios. And, uh, yeah. And so I started to look up the history of these studios and I kind of fell into, you know, Charlie Chaplin and, and I thought I gotta do some silent film things. So yeah, Alan, you should watch the real Charlie Chaplin documentary that just came out this past year. Oh, I, uh, I will. Yeah, it, I highly recommend it. There's a lot of clips from his early movies, and you know the Keystone Studios and all of that. You know Max Senate and everything. So uh, I'm sure it'll be some inspiration for you. I will definitely check it out. In fact, I think I drove by Max Senate Studios on Fountain 
like last week. And I thought, is that where that was? It was almost near Silver Lake. <laughs> yeah. It was like, but it said Max Sennett. And I went, oh my God, that's still there. I can't believe that. Yeah, there's so much history down there from the early days of the film industry. It's amazing. Well, we're bumping up uh, against an hour. Uh, and I just want to say thank you, Alan Bodner, for being on the show. I really had a good time. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, we're, we're going to see you soon. Thank you so much for being on the show, uh, Alan. And uh, we look forward to uh, more great work from you. Thank you. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Oh, wasn't that fun? <laughs> you know, he he is such a nice guy. I, I absolutely always enjoy talking with Alan. Um, I used to run into him at the studio all the time and we chat and, uh, you know, he's got some great stories to tell and also just an incredibly talented artist. You know, I really encourage our, our listeners to, to take a look at uh, Alan's personal artwork. Uh, I know, Al John, you're going to put the link into the show notes for that um he, he's just uh, you know another great guest it, it's so wonderful to talk to these folks and we've got a lot of more guests coming up in, in the coming weeks we've been booking so i'm not going to tease it too much but uh i hope everybody enjoyed that interview with alan bodner absolutely please check out the link pick up some of his art coffee mug a pillow a throw pillow i mean hey there's so many so many things he's selling out there out there so you can take home some of that awesome art some of that awesome magic we do appreciate that uh, and i know he would too so anyway thank you so much for tuning in to yet another edition of skull rock podcast i encourage everybody out there to please like share and subscribe to the show once again, wherever you get podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews and we'll read those reviews in an upcoming episode of the show. You can also do us a solid by emailing us your thoughts and uh, possibly some show topics for the upcoming weeks. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. Also follow us on social media. Of course, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. But uh, I know that I check our Facebook regularly, so be sure to do that as well. Until, uh, well, I was going to say, Dave, of course, with the final thought. Well, Al John, as always, peace and love to all of our listeners out there in podcasting land. Um, you know, I think the weather's going to start to turn a little bit. Uh, so I'm hoping it's warming up where everybody is. Uh, certainly is out here in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, I want to wish you all a very happy Valentine's Day. I hope you uh, enjoy yourself and enjoy it with somebody special. And we will see you back here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves 
Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Source Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.